All right, we're going to talk about Christianity. True, real, good. It's important. And uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is our faith actually legit? Uh, does it change our lives or is it something that um, is just, it's just a club? I mean, we know it's true, right? But there are a lot of things that are true that don't affect us whatsoever, right? Uh, you know, my phone is a very true thing. It corresponds to reality. It exists. But you go to Africa and they don't care about my phone. It makes no difference to their life. It's not changing them, right? Change my life. Not theirs. It's Christianity. It's true. But does it create real authentic life change or is it just a religion? Is it a, is it a list of rules and things to do, but it doesn't really make us different. It just makes us act like a certain way, but it doesn't really change us. See, that's the, that's the question, really, of my generation. Uh, generation X was always asking, you know, is it real? <laughs> Is your faith actually, uh, is it something more than just a club? And it's, it's really a challenge that we hear a lot of times where you hear people say, well, Christians, we're all just, uh, they're just hypocrites. And that's the charge. Is when you say you're hypocrites, you're just an actor. Like you're somebody who's acting like somebody else. And here's the reality. Yeah, of course we are. Everybody's a hypocrite. I mean, you go on in this world, everybody looks like they got their life together. But you got to meet any human being and you realize that everybody has troubles. Everybody has dark parts of their soul that they hate, things that they, they don't like about themselves. We all look good on the outside, but there's corruption on the inside of everybody. And the thing is, religion throughout the world, one of the things that a lot of people have turned away from religion is they've seen this, is people go to religious things, they, they put on the religious garb, they talk the religious talk, and yet their life has the same amount of corruption and brokenness and darkness inside as anybody else. And if Christianity is just another one of those things, well then count me out. Is it really real? Can Jesus truly change me like he claims? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Some powerful things. If my slides are going to work, please work slides. They worked earlier, but now it's not going to. So, Keith, would you just forward me to that next slide? Because this is being silly. Or not. It's going to, is it being slow? All right, we'll talk about it. Hey, there it is. Real discipleship. That looks, works so slick in practice. I will tell you. So here's the first thing that it says here. Christ calls us to real discipleship. Here's the first thing in Christianity. A lot of people in our faith or go to church and they think that it is just this thing that we can go to and a kind of lightly associate with. Like Christianity could be a spoke on the wheel of life. It's just another part of what I do. Uh, but that is really in contradiction to what Christ talks about, what it means to be a disciple. Right? Um, one of the passages we find here in John 4.24, Jesus said this to a woman at the well who was in Samaria, right? The ex-wife of God, right? Who was there. And she's calling him back and saying this to her, that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now it's important, look at that. Worship in spirit and truth. His worshipers must do this. To be a follower of Jesus is not uh, to just go and to, to say the right things. Oftentimes, I'll meet with folks that are, are interested in giving their lives to Jesus. And they want to know, what does that mean? And we talk about the importance of faith and faith in action. 
Right? And Jesus tells us there are certain things that he wants us to do to have it. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves as a gift of God. We're told that in Scripture. But Scripture tells us God wants us to put our faith in action. And it makes good sense. Like if you had faith that this, you know, there was poison gas in the air here and you really believed it, that, that faith should, should do something, right? should make you like hold your breath and run out the door, right? Maybe grab other people while you did it. And if it didn't, that faith caused no action, you would be dead and then you would be worthless, right? Our faith needs to lead us to things. Our faith leads us to belief. Right? Where we choose to follow God, even when doubts come in, we say, no, I'm sticking with God. <laughs> Belief. It, it leads us to repent. It leads us to, to live life according to what he calls us to do. It leads us to confess, to stand with Jesus, even when it costs us something. Right? Our faith causes us to be baptized, which is something that none of us would do on our own. Our faith causes us to get into a, a relationship with a, a body of Christ to, for discipleship so we can grow more like Jesus. But if I didn't have faith, say I just looked at the word of God and I said, you know, this is a wise way of living. And it is. I say, I'm going to do this, but I don't believe Jesus is going to save me. And I, and I repent in such a way as I'm following God's rules. Does that repentance save me? By no means. I'm just religious. Or say, I don't believe that Jesus is really the Christ, the Son of God. I don't believe that he really saved me, but I say those words. Am I saved? No, I'm not saved by a faithless confession. I'm saved by faith. That is expressed through confession, correct? Jesus tells us that we have to worship him in, in, in the spirit of God, the way that God wants to be known, and for who he is. We must worship him as he really is, and that requires genuine faith. It requires faith and action. But it also says to worship him in truth. To say, God, you are my Lord, and then to live my whole life as though he were not my Lord, is that living, worshiping him in truth? By no means. The, Jesus calls us to, to live for him completely, to give our lives to him completely, to worship him in spirit and truth. He says it a different way here in John 8.31. It says this, to the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Now I want to highlight something in there. He says, if you hold to my teachings. Right? Following Jesus is more than just claiming his name. It's actually living the life that he causes us to live. We're not saved by living the life that he causes us to live, but we are saved so that we can. <laughs> right? And he says, if you want to really be my disciple, right? there's, a, there's a way of Christ. That's why we're called Christians, little, little Jesuses. Right? We're supposed to look more and more like him. We're supposed to hold to his teachings. So it's not about showing up on a Sunday morning and putting something in the offering plate and saying, I'm good with God. It's about giving my life to him because he gave me life. You see this real discipleship, not some surface putting on Christianity like a cloak, but laying my life down so I could be made new. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 18 through 19 came to them and said, All authority to have and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. And he goes on to say, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. But look at this. He says, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. We forget about this. Up till that point, if we just forget about this portion, I can't cover it up because it's actually projected. You'll see it on my hand. But if we cover that up, what do you have? You have conversion. You have where most Christians stop. And it's tragic. 
Well, we can go to all the nations and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we stop, and they have faith, they're like, I am a Christian. But they have no idea to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you're really my disciple, you're going to hold to my teachings. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, yeah, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Which means follow his example. Live this life that he called us to. You see, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, this is huge. That is why, you know, our, our, our vision for the church, what God has called us to, is to reach this valley with the good news of Jesus Christ. Right. So every person who lives in Essence Park doesn't go to bed at night not knowing that God loves them, and that Jesus came. They don't have to accept him. That's up to them. But it's up to us to make sure that they know who God is, that Jesus came for them. And he died for them and he rose again. Do You know, our, our strategy to do that, be disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. We're not being converts of Jesus. If we do that, we inoculate the world against Christ because they look at us and they say, well, you you claim to be like Christ, so you must be like Jesus. And if Jesus is like you, I want nothing to do with him. But when we begin to learn how to follow him and love people like God loved people and have mercy like God has mercy and, and to care for the bigger things like Christ cares for, then we begin to, to take hold of the heart of God and to put it in here. We become more like Christ. You know what? Jesus is really attractive. It's an amazing thing. So Jesus tells us, he doesn't, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't say to trick people when they become converts. He doesn't trick them into saying, oh, it's going to be so easy. It doesn't cost you anything. No, he says, you're saved by my grace. Your salvation doesn't cost you anything. But it's going to cost you everything. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll save your life. That's why in Scripture we're called to be living sacrifices, laying down our lives as a, as a reasonable act of worship for God. That's what Christ calls us to. And that sounds scary, but it's entirely wonderful. Because we recognize that this isn't just a club. It's not just a book that we, we study and say, well, I'm going to try to be like that, but I'm not. No, Jesus invites us to join him in the power of, of transformation. That is, that's what we're called to. Can it happen? You say, Aaron, that's, that's a great in theory. Can it happen? Oh, well, let's see here. The apostles had it. They demonstrated real life change. We had the story of their lives from their own words. Before Jesus, they were just regular guys. I'll show you. Well, we see it in Scripture. Where are these guys? Matthew 2, 4. You could see these are the, these are the disciples. Right? There was Simon who's called Peter. Fisherman, regular guy. Son of his brother Andrew, and then James, son of Jebedee, his brother John, also fisherman, business owner, small business owner, like that. You have Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew. He was a tax collector, worked in the finance world. You have uh, John, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Zealot. He was a political dude. And then you have Judas Iscariot. Of course, he was a rat. And you had to have regular guys. Right? If Jesus hadn't come into their lives, do you think we would know their names? Would we be naming our sons Thomas? No, absolutely not. Uh, before Jesus came, this is just average Joes living their average lives. Some of them were religious, some of them not so much. But what happens? Jesus comes in, and then he was with them, and he's crucified. And after the crucifixion, what do we find from their own words? They are terrified fugitives. That's who they are. 
They, they are scared out of their gourd. This is what we read here. It's one of the passages, Luke 23, 48. Just so you know, I'm not making that up. This is when Jesus is actually being crucified. Remember, these are the 12 guys that are the pillars of the church. Jesus is his hand-selected 12, right? He's lived with them. He proved all these things to them, miracles. We said, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight took place as Jesus dying on the cross, they beat their breasts and they went away. These are the not-disciples who did this. These are the people of the community and the Roman soldiers, right? It said, including the women who had followed in Galilee. Now, remember back then, women didn't have as were pretty low as far as social status. The fact that they would make a point to saying even the women were there is basically saying, who is not here? It says, even the women who followed in Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The women were there watching at a distance. Where were, where were the disciples? Gone. Except for John. John was brave enough to stand up front. He was the only one. Everybody else who followed Jesus was back at a distance. And the disciples, they were out of there. They weren't even there. Even the women were braver than them. And we found that that's actually a pattern that, con- that continued after they took Jesus from the cross and they buried him in a tomb and they put guards in front of it. Who were the ones that were brave enough to go to the tomb to put spices on Jesus' body? The women, right? Because the guys, where were they? Hiding, hole up in a little tiny room, an upper room, eating fish. That's what they were doing. Terrified. Now, if you made a story up about how, you know, if they created Christianity around themselves so that way they could say, listen, follow us because we're super spiritual people, do you think they would have included those details? No. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have included those details. The humiliating details, but it's what it says. is After Jesus was crucified, they didn't know what to do. They were, they were lost. But get this. They didn't stay that way. We do name our sons Thomas, and why? Because after the resurrection, they were unstoppable world changers. We get this. This is a cool story that I'll read for you, and I'll set, I'll set it up for you. Is uh, before um, before this happens, the apostles see Jesus. Okay, he, he's raised. He says, "Stay in this room until you know Holy Spirit comes." Basically, and so they do, and then they go and they they share uh, the gospel, and a bunch of people are saved. And they have the power of the Holy Spirit now dwelling in them. And now the apostles, where they're at, they've seen Jesus. They've seen him raised. They've seen him go up in, into heaven and said, I'm going to come back down eventually to come get you. And they know they have a job to do. And where do they go? These guys who were terrified, too terrified to go to a grave, where do they go? To the temple, right where Jesus was arrested, right? Right where he was tried. They go to the temple. And they're preaching about, they said, we have seen him raised. A lot of you have seen him raised. And they're in the temple and they're preaching this. Well, who are the people that killed Jesus? The people who ruled the temple. Do you think they heard about this? Do you think they were happy? No, they were not happy. And yes, they heard about it. So what do they do? They arrest these guys. Now, if you were the apostles and you saw God killed, Right? Your master crucified. You know that these guys have the power to back up what they're talking about, right? These are not empty threats. And the Sanhedrin's there and they say, be quiet. They didn't say what you say isn't true. They say, you keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. Look what these guys who were just a few days earlier so afraid they couldn't walk out of their apartment to go to a tomb. This is what they say to the leaders 
of the Sanhedrin. They say, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? <laughs> you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. There was something that happened in their life that they could not deny. And they said, you try to stop us. And you know what? They tried to stop them. They went and arrested them. They arrested Peter and James. They killed James. Killed him. Gone, like so fast. Peter, God said, nope, your time's not yet. Angel lets him out of prison. How cool is that? And you know what? They were unstoppable. Everywhere they went, the gospel was preached and it was heard. And, and John, the apostle John, lives his whole life preaching, being persecuted. He eventually it's like boiled in oil to even try to stop him and make him quiet. And he lives, he's like a French fry for Jesus. And he still lives and he's preaching the gospel. And he says, Jesus is alive. You can torture me. You can try to kill me. So all of his friends die. He said, it doesn't matter. He is on his throne and he's coming back. And he loves you. There was no way to dissuade these guys. You couldn't make them stop. You couldn't make them give up what they believed because they saw it with their eyes. They knew it was true and it changed who they were. Do you think some fishermen and some tax collectors and some politicians would ever be able to change the world like these men did? Not unless there was a change inside of them. Look at Peter or Paul. Look at Paul. Paul's amazing. Going out to stop the church to the point that he's killing Christians. Jesus shows up, knocks him off his donkey, realizes who God is, meets with them for three years, and now the guy writes like most of the New Testament, goes as a Jew of Jews, goes to the Gentiles. He, he's prisoned, he's whipped, he's beaten, people throw rocks at him, try to kill him, and you can't stop him. You can't make him give up on his faith because he's changed. And here was a man that his youth was arrogant, as, and God changed to be a man full of love and compassion and peace. Explain the apostles' lives if Jesus wasn't in it. How do they become the way that they were? You see, we have precedent for us, don't we? Can Jesus change lives? Yeah, he could change anybody's life. And that's exactly the point. See, every believer has a real testimony. Every believer you, me, if we come to Christ, I have a testimony that's valid. See, Jesus came into my life and he changes me. And that's what we were called to use. Here's a, here's a little story from, from Revelation. This is, the, this is the end game, right? This is how, how it all wraps up. And I love this because Satan gets the smackdown, but listen how he does. It's so cool. So then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's the devil, by the way, has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Now, I wish that it was brighter, but I want to show you this is so cool. How, does, how are they beaten? And they have defeated him. Who has defeated them? The brothers and sisters. They have defeated him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. You talk about the power in the blood. It's, we have died to ourselves. That's the point of the power of the blood. Jesus died for our sins. He's made us saints. He's changed us from the inside out. But it's not just the power of the blood, the truth of the gospel. It's our testimony. 
You ask anybody who I was in high school and compare the character of that man to who I am today. I was in high school. Kurt knows this, right? He knew me. I was playing basketball because I stink at basketball for a three-on-three thing or something. I can't remember what it was. And some gal was fouling me, and I didn't know basketball. I don't, you, you can hit people, but you just can't let the ref see it or something. I don't, there's, a, there's a rule to it. She was doing this, and I was mad because I was getting caught. Finally, I just ripped my shirt off and threw it into the crowd, and I cussed him out, and I cussed the ref out who was one of the teachers. And I went in, and I kicked in three lockers, and I had to buy new lockers. I was a believer at that point, by the way. <laughs> Baby believer. <laughs> believer. I had a temper. I had a real temper. When I was first married, I had a real issue with lust. Real deal. It was hard. And I tried to kick it by putting on religion. I really did. Just like I tried to kick my anger by putting on religion when I first came to Christ. It didn't change me. But then... I started to meet with Jesus. I started to get into his word. And I said, you know, what? I want to be like this. Instead of just going to church, I decided to be the church. I started meeting with other men that had walked a little further in Christ than I had. I started realizing that I could connect with Christ and my God through prayer. I could talk to him at any point. When I read the scriptures, it wasn't just so I could say that I did it and check it off a list. It's because those are the words of life that's true. And every day I was recognized as I read the word, I was like, man, do I screw up a lot. And I would fall back on the grace of God and say, you know what? Thank you for saving me from this. I'm sorry. But help me. Help me. And I began to lay down pieces of my life. And it wasn't that I put on religion. It's that Christ started coming alive inside of me. Am I perfect? Oh, by no means. <laughs> but I'm more perfect than I was. I'm way more like Christ than I was. It's a daily walk and it's a transformation that you cannot deny. Jesus is real and he changes us from the inside out. And so for the question out there, what is our testimony? How do I share my testimony with others? Here's the thing. I can tell you who God is. My testimony begins with God because it's of his glory and of his grace that I'm who I am. And I have the hope that I have. I'll always begin there. Because God is one and he deserves to be worshipped as he truly is. Right? You know what drives me nuts? Are those bumper stickers that say coexist. I'm sorry if you have one. Not because I'm sorry that I'm offended by it. I'm sorry that you have one. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't coexist with other gods. He's not one amongst many. He is the one. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Buddha can't change you. Hinduism cannot change you. Joseph Smith cannot change you. But Jesus Christ, he can change you. He can change you from the inside out. And I am living proof. We tell who God is. And we stand with him because he is holy and he is wonderful. But then we also talk about what Christ has done. Christ came to this world to save a bunch of lousy sinners like us. Because, he says, we're more than a bunch of lousy sinners. We're beings created in his image for his glory. And he's not just going to let us fail. 
He came to earth to die for us so that we could live in him. He took our penalty, which we deserve, so that we could have life in him. Jesus is amazing. And he rose again to prove he did it. You cannot take away infinite life. You take life, you kill it, he's still infinite life. He comes back. You can't stop him. That's who Jesus is. And that Lord, that resurrection power, that, that grace that's infinite, that love that's infinite is now in me. I have the Holy Spirit. I testify what Christ has done in me. That's my testimony. That's your testimony. If you know Jesus, if you've come to faith in Christ, you have a testimony that's powerful. Look at your testimony and say, you know, maybe you're a baby in your faith. And you see that Jesus has, has saved you. But is he changing you? Your testimony needs to be more than just being saved. And how do you get to that point where he can change you? It begins when we just begin feeling ourselves pursuing God, worshiping him in spirit and truth, right? Learning to, to hold to his teachings, learning to obey him in all things. That's how we do it. It's connecting with God. And he will change you. And he will build your testimony. And by being disciples of Jesus... We will build disciples of Jesus and we will reach every corner of this community with the good news of what God has done. So, is our faith real? Oh yeah, it's real. It's so real, it's amazing. Christians are called to authentic life change. That's what we're called to. Jesus didn't say, follow my rules. He said, be different. He said, die to yourself and live in me. <laughs> That's a pretty cool invitation. We're to demonstrate life change. Our lives should be growing in Christ. If we can look back on our faith and say, I'm not growing, it doesn't mean that Jesus is small. It doesn't mean that God and the Holy Spirit can't change me. It's like, I'm just not pursuing him. Am I not worshiping him in spirit and truth? Am I not, am I not holding to his teachings? I'm going to ask myself this. Because God wants to change me, and that's what we're called to, to demonstrate real life change. And then we're supposed to testify to the difference that Christ has made in us. That's what we're called to do. That is life in Christ. Now, as I bring this worship through the message to a close, and I have the worship team come up, why don't you pull out your, your connection card? Because what do you do with this? Well, I have an idea. On the back of it, maybe one thing you commit to this week is memorizing Matthew 16, 24. Why? Well, to realize that Christianity is not just... Uh, Christ didn't call us to comfort. He said, listen, if you want to be my disciples, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross... And follow me. And maybe this week that's your challenge. It's to memorize that verse and think about the words of Christ. What did he really call you to? Are we willing to deny ourselves? Now that sounds awfully scary, and it is. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus also promised if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, oh man, you're going to really find it. And the life that he calls you to is a life so much better than you would ever be for yourself. He's saving you from your brokenness and your depravity. He's making you new. Maybe that verse is something you need to memorize and meditate on this week. Think about the truth of it. And cry out to God in there. and Say, you know what, God? Help me. Help me to learn how to deny myself. Because that's hard. Help me learn how to follow you. Help me to take up my cross. That's not easy. And you know what? He's there to help. That's one of the reasons he gave us the Holy Spirit. So you're not alone in it. So maybe that's what you start with. How about this? Maybe read Acts 8 through 14. Why? Well, that's a story of a particular guy who had a life change. And you're going to see it right there in the pages of, of Acts from the person who followed him around. It was Luke who wrote this, but it was Paul who has a life change. And this is his story. If you want to read what God can do to a man, 
where he can, how he can change a person's life, read that this week. Because if he can do that for Paul, he can do that for you. How about this? Pray. Maybe we need to confess, repent, or to dedicate ourselves to God. Say, you know what, God, I've got things in my life. I'm worshiping you, but not fully in truth. <laughs> or I'm twisting your words and your things about religion, and I'm missing the spirit of it. Maybe I need to confess or repent of what I've done. Maybe I just need to stand with Jesus more. And not just when I'm at church and around Christians, but you know what? Actually stand with Christ. Or maybe it's to dedicate myself. So you know what? I am dedicating myself to following Christ today. Maybe that's what you need to do. Another thing you do, maybe it's just an option. I'm going to be teaching a Growing Strong class on the 30th. It's just about some simple tools about how we can connect with God. That's all they are. How do we connect with God? It's a hands-on, three-hour thing. We'll sit down with the Bible. We'll talk about prayer. We'll talk about Bible study. We'll talk about what some people call spiritual disciplines. But really, you know, we don't call them like dating disciplines, like when you how you keep a good marriage, right? But they are. I mean, they're practices that we do to connect with God. And if you want to have some of that, let us know. We'll get your materials and your lunch ready for you. Maybe that's what you want to do. Or maybe there's something else that God's calling you to do this morning. And let us know what that is, because I'll be praying for you this week. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have, too. Let us know. Write that down right now. Put it on there and uh, drop in the offering later on. You'll know. You'll be prayed for this week. We stand with you. That's what Christ does. Well, all right. Uh, we're going to take this in just a minute. We're going to take our offering as well. And I want you to drop those green cards in the offering basket along with your tithes and offerings. So let's, let's pray for them as we close this portion. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for you. Lord, that you are so good. That you love us. That you change us from the inside out. Father, you take our brokenness and depravity and our despair and, and our, the disgusting parts of us and you put them to death on the cross. And you fill us with your new life and your holiness and your goodness. And you don't look down on us, Father, anymore. We have been propitiated. You are, you've turned your anger away so we could have peace with you. And you see us as your children and you build us as your children. God, I pray, Father, as a congregation, as a family of faith, Lord, that we would pursue you the way that you deserve to be pursued. Let us worship you in spirit and truth, Father. Let us do it. Help us, Lord, to take up our crosses and follow you as we deny ourselves, Lord, every day, knowing that we're really just denying a dead man and we're serving the one that can never die. Father, God, let us learn to not just make converts and be converts, but to learn to obey you in all things. Because your ways are true and good and right and they build us and they are for our benefit as well as the benefit of this world. Give us your heart, Lord. We give you our heart. And Father, we also want to give you our tithes, our offerings, our gifts. We dedicate these to you because you're holy and you're worthy and we want your message to reach everyone. So take them and bless them, Father.